Today, we're going to turn our attention to one verse, a very familiar verse, Proverbs 22, chapter 6. I went through, I went through, Proverbs 22, verse 6. I went through my list of messages that I've preached for Father's Day in the, in the past 16 years I've been here, and, and I hadn't touched this verse, but we're going to touch it briefly today. I pray that it will be brief, and that uh, you pray that also, but I pray that it will be effective, and that God's will will be done. He, he will be glorified in everything. As you're turning there, chapter, chapter 22, verse 6 in the book of Proverbs. I read this about, I read this story about an 11-year-old boy whose behavior was described by his psychiatrist as being horrible. When a psychiatrist describes an 11-year-old boy as horrible, it had to be bad. The psychiatrist stated that the boy was the most obnoxious child he had ever met. He would kick and scream. He would run and hide. He would become withdrawn. He would disrupt his classes. He would make everyone around him disgusted with him. The psychiatrist saw one problem with the boy that no one else observed. No one had ever told this boy that what he was doing was wrong. No one had ever set limits on what he could or could not do. At 11 years of age, the psychiatrist decided to try a completely new tactic. The boy would have would have to behave and act reasonable or he would face discipline. He responded remarkably by this, probably because he had been anxious for a long time for it to be treated in a realistic way. Oh, just in case you didn't know, it's not realistic the way the world is going today to where people can do things any way they want to do. We're living in a time when, like it was in the Bible days, when everyone's doing what seemed right in their own mind. That's not realistic. There has to be limits. Could you imagine the chaos on 95 if, if everybody was driving exactly the way they wanted to drive, but we have limits. And we have officers who enforce those limits. And it's not as chaotic as it could be. And you know, children want those limits in their lives, whether they tell you that or not. They cry out for those limits. When this child, this 11-year-old, had received this discipline and received these mandates, he became courteous and well-behaved. His miserable grades went to straight A's. For the first time in his life, the boy began to play constructively with other children. He began to enjoy honest relationships with others, and he stopped blaming everybody else for his problems. The psychiatrist says that this is reality therapy. And he says one of an individual's greatest needs is to be made to realize that he or she is responsible personally responsible for what he or she does and that right behavior accomplishes much more than wrong behavior 
You know, according to Proverbs 22 and 6, it appears as we put this proverb in its proper perspective, it appears to me that, that it is the duty of the father to train his children to walk in the right way. If you look in verses 1 through 4, and we're going to focus, I mean, 1 through 6, and we're going to focus just on 6 today. But if you look at those verses and you see the context, it speak, Solomon is speaking to fathers. And just so you will know, <laughs> um, I'm not here to beat us up, fathers. I want to encourage us. You know, we talked about this on the bus, on the van ride to, to uh, Nashville that often mothers are encouraged and they're praised on Mother's Day and fathers are beat up. <laughs> so I've not come to beat us up today. I've come to encourage us just to share some information with us. As we look here in this verse, the Bible says this, and we all know this. It says to train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old... He will not depart from it. Now, this is God's holy word. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it means to us. Now, help us to understand its truth. And as we understand its truth, help us to apply it to our lives so that we can be more fruitful members of society and we can be more fruitful children of you. God, help us in everything, in every way, for we need you this day more than we need anything else. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is probably the best known proverb on rearing children. However, it's also probably the most misunderstood proverb. As it comes to rearing children. It, it states a simple truth that parents must remember to teach and to discipline their children. It's the duty of the parents to start their children off on the right path. And when they are old, they will not depart from the training that we give them. Now, when we look at this and we think about what this verse is saying, there are a couple of things I want us to recognize. And first is the father's responsibility to train his children. Now, the word here, way, where he says train up a child in the way that he should go, he is... It's repeated throughout the Proverbs, and it, and it indicates a path, a chosen path. There are only two possible paths that are mentioned in the whole book, and that's the path of righteousness which, and wisdom, which leads to life, and then there's the path of wickedness and foolishness that leads to destruction. And the right way or the, or the way a child should go is obviously the way of righteousness. A godly father desires that his children would go in the way of righteousness. But for this to happen, the child must be taught 
the righteous way. We don't have to teach our children to do wrong. I wasn't ever taught in our home to do wrong, but I found myself doing a lot that was wrong. While I was a child, while I was a teen, while I was a young adult, I found myself wanting to do. As a matter of fact, I have the holy word of God, several copies all in my home, and I, I spend time in his word, and I have to fight me to keep from doing wrong. We don't have to teach that. It's our nature. However, we have to teach and we have to train a child to do what is right. But not only do we train them to do what's right, it is necessary for us to train them to desire to do what is right. So as for fathers, we have a responsibility to disciple our children. In other words, we are to mold their minds with the teaching of God's word. And we are to mold their senses with the demonstration of, of what it means to apply God's word to our lives. In other words, we teach them the word of God. And then we live out the word of God before them. We tell them about the love of God. And then we show them how to love God. By our commitment to spend time with God. By our willingness to worship God. By our seeking God in prayer. They, they see that we give our time and our talents and our treasure to God's church. Not because we're commanded to. But because we love and we desire to please our Lord. We also tell them about loving one another. We show them how to love one another by living a life that is missional. What I mean by that is that we take the opportunity to help those that we know that are in need. We seek opportunities to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. We forgive those who've wronged us. We pray for those who despitefully use us, not because we're commanded to, but because Christ first loved us. When we wanted nothing to do with him, when we cursed him, when we turned our backs on him, he still pursued after us. And as our children see this in our lives, then we can know that as they become older, they won't be able to deny what they've been taught. I hope you got that last phrase. They won't be able to deny what they've been taught. Henceforth, the Bible says when they are old, it will not depart from them. But you know, uh, we can do our best to train our children, but there comes a time when we just, we just have to trust God. Somebody should have shouted. I'm telling you. Uh, we can do our very best. Nobody has the perfect answer to what it takes to have a child behave from birth to adulthood and throughout their lives to be the, that perfect person. You know why? Because we're not perfect. We're filled with flesh. We're filled with lust. We're, we're filled with pride. And the reason our children act the way they do is because they got our blood in them. They got our blood in them. So I thought the reality is, is that fathers really, we must trust God as we're training our children. 
Now, in, in reading this proverb, we must understand its truth. Parents only start a child off in the right way. We start them off on the right path. Now, for you who are fathers and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can't do this. You're having to depend on someone else to do it for you. Boy, you ought to get to know Jesus. Because <laughs> if you get to know Jesus, he'll not only do you good, but he'll do your family good. As parents, we are to begin training our children in the early years of their lives so that when we read, so when we read that when he is old, he will not depart from it. King Solomon was referring to a proverb here. Get this. I want us to know this truth. Proverbs are not absolute promises. They express principles that are generally true to life. But there are always exceptions to what is generally true. Many parents have become disappointed in God and disappointed in God's word because they misunderstood the application and the meaning of this proverb. They've looked at this proverb as an absolute promise from God that if they train up their children in the way that they should go, then they are guaranteed that their children will will not stray from the path of righteousness. But that's just not so. That's not the meaning of this proverb. We are responsible to start our children off on the right path of righteousness. But Proverbs also teaches us that we, that every individual chooses for him or herself Every individual chooses the path that they're going to walk for him or herself. We can lead them to the right path, but we can't force them on that path and to remain on that path. We start and we formulate, we we mold their minds as they're young so that they know that this is an option for them. And this is a direction that would best suit them, but we can't force their hand. Man, you know what? I wished it was easier than that. I wish that God could force me to serve him. I wish that God would force every unbeliever in this world right now to serve him. You know why? Because it would be a better world. But one day it's going to be like that. During that millennial reign, everyone will serve the Lord. But the truth is, everyone will not accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Their heart will be wicked, even though their actions might be pure. And I want us to understand that that's why God... God doesn't force us to serve him. He wants our hearts pure. So we train up our children in the way that they should go. But our children have to make decisions for themselves. So let me say this to each one of us. Let me encourage us of this. Don't ever think that you've been a better parent than somebody else. Because it's all by the grace of God that we are who we are. And our children are behaving the way that they are if they're doing right. If they're not doing right, it's not because of what you've done. It's because of what they're choosing to do. If they are doing right, it's not because of what you're done. It's by the grace and the mercy of God. We train them in the way they should go. And then we trust God with the rest. That's all mom and daddy could do. (laughs) I'm sure there were many nights when they were up praying about their foolish son. Because I was foolish. I hated myself. 
I, I, I hated what some things that had happened in our lives. And, and I hated the fact that I couldn't feel any peace or joy. And I was on a path of destruction. But I couldn't forget what I'd been taught all my life. I couldn't forget it. When I wanted nothing to do with it, it was still there nagging. If I could say it this way, it was nagging the life out of me. And it was just making me feel worse. Because I knew what I was doing was wrong. Some may wonder, well, if this proverb's not a guarantee, then why? Why should we follow it? Because when we train our children in the right way, it never departs from them. They never truly depart from it. What I'm talking about here is they can't get it out of the head. Just what I just said. They can't, you know, there's some things you just can't help but remember. You wish you didn't remember. There are things that I've done that I wished I didn't remember, but I can't depart from it because it's a part of me. And when we, when we know about the right path and we've been led down that right path even in the midst of our foolishness it won't depart from us some call it guilt some call it conviction but whatever it is it's just not leaving us alone they may choose not to live by it but they can't get away from it the training they receive is permanently etched in their hearts and minds. And even in old age, they will remember what their parents have taught them. We heard Brother Mike up here. Now, he's a little bit older than I am. He's not an old man. He's a little bit older than I am, but he can remember how his daddy raised him. His daddy's been gone for quite a while, but he still remembers. You remember things about your daddy. Brother Ted's told me about his daddy. He remembers because it's etched in his heart. It's etched in his mind. He can't get rid of that. Even in, when parents teach their children to live righteously, they instill in them something that will stay with them their entire lives. This is the meaning of the proverb. If we look closely enough, we see this lived out in the book, in the gospel of Luke in chapter 15. When we look in Luke's gospel, we see a father who taught both his sons the principles of life that would put them on the right path. However, the younger son decided he needed to leave home to make his own life. It's possible that in his eyes, the older son, um, his older brother may seem to have done everything right and the younger son done everything wrong. It's possible that he felt like he was trapped and all, always had to be in his older brother's shadow. In fact, in that day, the older son would receive two-thirds of the father's inheritance and the younger son would receive one-third of that inheritance. What we find is that it's possible the younger son wanted to go on his way to make a great life for himself, to come back to his father and say, look, just because I'm younger doesn't mean I'm less than. 
man. Just because I'm younger doesn't mean I can't be successful. Just because I'm younger doesn't mean I can't have what he has. I'm just as successful as he is. It's possible these are the things that were going through this son's mind. But you know, it's also possible he was just rebellious. It's also possible he was just a rebellious son. We often get caught up in the fact that the younger son having the audacity to ask his father for his share of his inheritance. But you know what? That's all he asked for. That's all he asked for. You're looking at me like, preacher, you're foolish. No, that's all he asked for. He didn't ask for any of his brothers. He asked for what he felt was entitled to him which is less than what his brother would get because he was the younger son. He didn't ask for an equal share. Whew. Well, we're living in a society where they want everything equal, don't they? But that's not reality. But this son didn't ask for that. I, I, you know what? I think, and personally, that took restraint. That took growth. That took mat being matured and to know that this is what is, is rightfully mine, and that's all I want. You know what we have? We have people today contesting wills when what, they, what they're contesting ain't none of theirs. It's their mamas and their daddies or their grandmas and granddaddies that's been passed down. They haven't worked for it. They haven't sweat for it. They haven't bled for it. And they're crying in court uh, with their brothers and sisters severing all relationships with them over something that don't belong to them anyway. And here this brother, this son, he's just saying, Father, what is mine? What you would give me, let me have that. Keep what was going to be left of my brother, but just give me what my portion, just my portion. You know, we're living in a time where people want what everybody else has got. I know that because we got security cameras all around our homes. We got security systems on our homes. We all have weapons and most of us or a lot of us in here carry weapons because somebody's always trying to take what's ours. But this son, all he wanted was what was his. The father gave the younger son what he asked for and he sent him on his way. The father controlled what he could control and from a lad he had taught his son the way he should go but now the father couldn't control what his son would or would not do so he put his trust in the lord we know how the story goes soon the son had wasted all that had been given to him in unrighteous living he he came to a place in his life to where he was in want someone once said that want and waste are twin brothers he who wastes will soon come to want well it appears that he remembered his father's teachings you know that quote it'll sink in in a minute he remembered his father's teaching because he did not begin to go out and steal or cheat even though he was broken hungry possibly spoiled a little bit he didn't he didn't steal and cheat in other words he sought after work he joined himself to a citizen of the country in which he was in and while he was feeding this citizen's wine he remembered his father 
In Luke 15, 17 through 19, the Bible says, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will, I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He wasn't going back home with the intention of begging his father to restore him. He realized he had wasted everything that he had, everything that he had been given, every advantage he had had, he had just thrown it away and now he's just willing to be a servant in his father's house. The Bible says he arose and he went to his father but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and he ran and fell upon his neck and began kissing him. The father had been trusting God he was looking, he was waiting for the day when the Lord would bring his son home. So when the father saw his son, he didn't look to scold his son. He didn't want to argue with his son about wasting all that he had given him. Instead, he realized by God's grace, by God's mercy, God had brought his son home. And the father extended grace and mercy to the son. It appears that the father was so happy to see his son that when his son acknowledged and confessed his sin he was already forgiven his father didn't ask for a long explanation his father didn't put him in probation you know what some denominations do well it ain't a dom denomination it's a religion they will shun you you come back to that religion and you want to be a part of that church and, and they will sit you at the very back and tell you to stay there until for a certain amount of months. What kind of love is that? And we had better never fall into that as a church because it's only the grace of God that we ain't where others are. Yeah, hey, I, I know that's improper English, but I said it that way on purpose. <laughs> In the son's eyes, he wasn't worthy to be considered a son. But in the father's eyes, he was always a son. The father saw him a great far off. There was never a moment when the father wasn't longing for his son's return. And when he recognized him and had compassion on him, when he fell on him, he showered him with kisses. Listen, the kiss, it signified... It signified that the father and son relationship had been restored. The ring that he gave his son, it signified that his position of authority had been restored. The fact that, that the robe had been placed around his shoulders, it signified that the father was covering his son. And nobody could come against his son because the father was protecting his son. And the shoes that he put on his feet signified that, no, you're not a servant, but you're my son. The party that was being given for the son, it was to show and signify that not only was he in fellowship with his family, but he's now in fellowship with the whole community. The son experienced the full measure of the father's mercy, grace, and forgiveness. Oh, if we're going to train our children in the way they should go, they've got to see that in us as fathers. This is what God does for us, isn't it? 
This is what our Heavenly Father does for us. When we recognize that we have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, when we come to our senses and we repent of our sins, when we seek God's forgiveness, when we accept His way of salvation, that there's no other way except by the name of Jesus Christ. When we believe and confess that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that he died for our sin, that he arose from the grave for our victory, and he is now at the right hand of the Father making intercession for those who will believe, and that he is coming back to receive us unto himself. When this happens, he doesn't bring our sin back to us. He moves forward. He doesn't live in our past. He casts our sin as far from us as, our, as the east is from the west. And this father in Luke's gospel demonstrated that to his own son. Truth is, we can't control. Fathers, I want you to know there are things you can't control. What you pour into your children, you can control. If you want to browbeat them and tell them they're good for nothing, you can control that. And what you get out of that is what you've created. But you can love them unconditionally and be to them what they need you to be. In the midst of discipline in your children, they know that you do it because you love them. Man, that makes all the difference in the world. We can't control what decisions they're going to make. They're their own people. They have their own minds. Even when we do our very best in raising our children as God would have, to have us to, some will choose the wrong path. Some will return home long before sin destroys their flesh. Some will return home just before their flesh has been destroyed. And sadly, some will wait too long and never get home. But fathers, if you've led them to the Lord, if you've led them in the path of righteousness, keep your heads held high. Don't let nobody bring you to shame. You can't control everything. I'm a control freak. There's two over there that'll tell you that. About the only thing I don't try to control around my house is where we go eat. Because I know they wouldn't, nah, they wouldn't let me if I could. But there's some things we just got to let go and trust God. If we do train them up in the way that they should go, no matter where they are in this life, we can trust that God will not allow what we've taught them to depart from them. We can trust that. So my encouragement to us today, let's control what we can. And let's train our children up in the way that they should go. And when we do that, let's trust God with what we can't control. And when we trust him, we can know he's working all things out for our good and for his glory. We may not understand it here on earth, and you know what? That's okay. That's okay because it's just a short time here. But we'll understand it better in the by and by if we'll trust him. If we'll trust him. 
Every head bowed, every eye closed. God, as we come before you today, we thank you. We praise you for this day that you've given us. A day that as fathers, we can be reminded that you are faithful and that we can trust you. A day, God, that if we, we're reminded that if we, we can control what we can, and that is teaching our children in the way they should go. But God, what we can't control, we can trust your faithfulness. So God, I pray right now that you would move upon every heart that is here. For God, those who are godly fathers, those who, who follow in your footsteps and your precepts, God, we pray that you would continue to, to touch them, continue to strengthen them and encourage them. But God, there are some here today who are fathers and they have precious children, children you love more than we could ever fathom. God, you love them in a way that we can't even describe. So much that you sent your son to take their place so that they could come and be with you. Help us, God. Help us, God, to encourage those fathers of those children to believe that your son is the savior of the world. That your son, Jesus Christ, he came from glory to this sin-cursed world and he gave his life so that we could have eternal life. He arose from the dead to give us hope that there's a, a brighter day coming. And he's left us with the promise that he's coming back to receive us to where he is there we can be also. God, he's left us with the command that we go out and we make disciples let us start in our own homes discipling our children and our families to follow after a path of righteousness oh God as you minister to us right now to, as every head's bowed every eye's closed as you minister to those who have already trusted your son as their savior I pray that you would move upon those who have yet to do so that today They'll be able to look at their children and say, you've got a new daddy, one who loves you enough that will encourage you when you're feeling low, that will be, there, be your strength when you're weak, that will be your cover when you feel bare. Because they're following after you. Because they've received your son as their savior. Oh God, speak to their hearts right now. Let them start a brand new life with their families today. And we'll praise you for what's accomplished. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. They begin to sing this song of invitation. Maybe there's one who's just tired of going through the motions, who's tired of not being able to give their children the best of you. You're tired of this sin-cursed world and seeking out its riches. Maybe now you're ready to give your life to Jesus so that you can train your children, that precious one that you love most, to walk in the way of Jesus.